I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 64, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Engel, volume 2, pages 421 to 430. Some instructive insights from Layla's house. One of the most insightful of the pro-gay and lesbian studies published by Habworth Press is Dr. Jacobo Shifter's Lila's House, 1998, the dilapidated male bordello known as Lila's House, located in a working-class section of San Jose, Costa Rica, was the subject of a six-month study in 1997 under the sponsorship of the Instituto Latinoamericano de Prevention y Education en Salud, ILPS, an AIDS prevention program financed by the Netherlands. The stated purpose of the ILPS field research project was to study the attitudes, beliefs, and knowledge of young male prostitutes and the implementation of an AIDS and substance abuse prevention program, including the establishment of an alternative home for juvenile prostitutes that included educational and occupational opportunities since a number of the subjects involved in the study were minors, including boys as young as 13, and underage pederasty pederasty prostitution is illegal in Costa Rica. The activities of Shifter and his ILPS crew were conducted sub rosa. Lila, the owner of the shanty brothel, was a well-known effeminate queen who had served time in prison. He made his living in semi-isolation from his disapproving neighbors as a pimp for local cacheros, young heterosexual boys and men who sell their bodies to homosexual adults, mainly older pederasts for quick cash. Lila told two sympathetic gay ILPS interviewers, that his adoptive mother had made him into a sissy and that he was the victim of sex abuse at the hands of an older homosexual for many years before fleeing from his intolerable home situation at age 15. Lila said he selected his young prostitutes ages 10 to 20 solely on the basis of their physical attributes, good looks and large penises. Cacherismo is a profession of extreme youth, noted Shifter. Lila's boys were all naturally heterosexual and virtually all had been sexually initiated mostly by older, most by older women prior to beginning life as a cachero. At the time of their recruitment, most were unaware of what was in store for them. Lila volunteered that their first sexual encounter with a man was usually a shock but was not traumatic. Lila said he started them off easy with instruction on oral sex. At about the age of 14, they graduate to active sodomy. Lila explained that sexual tourism and wealthy gay foreigners, mostly Americans, Canadians, and Europeans, had created a growing demand for HIV-AIDS-free Costa Rican boys, especially in large urban cities like San Jose and coastal resort towns. Lila's boys were not the poorest of the poor. Most were from lower middle-class families. Some were students. Lila's house catered to a very specific clientele, older homosexual pederasts, native-born and foreign, mostly married, masculine in demeanor. 
discreet, richer middle class and closeted. The majority of Lila's customers favored boys between the ages of 10 to 15 who had no facial hair in the Greek tradition. Some came to Lila's house because they are too old and unattractive to attract sex partners in any other way or because they preferred private quarters to public places where they might be recognized. These pagadors, literally payers, as they were called, were usually considered and undemanding, preferring fellatio to sodomy, and were willing to be dominated sexually, ideal clients for the macho cacheros. The least desirable customers were those who stank as if they were rotting from the inside, and young homosexual effeminates in their 20s who preferred clandestine affairs to the gay bar and bath scene, and who insisted on being treated and penetrated like women by very masculine prostitutes. A few of the younger homosexuals anally penetrated very young boys. Most cacheros could not visualize themselves as Heber having a paternalistic Pagador relationship with these queens, and some avoided them altogether as clients, said Shifter. Theoretically, the Cacheros, who took part in the Shifter project, lived by a very fairly strict code of conduct, and their lives were compartmentalized accordingly. In contrast to the faggots and queers they serviced, they perceived themselves as heterosexual males who were temporarily engaged in the business of male hustling solely for financial gain. In public life, they played out the traditional Latin male role. According to Shifter, virtually all the Cacheros had girlfriends or wives who are the prime focus of their romantic love and erotic desires. For them, love is defined in rather traditional Latin and Catholic terms. Love is sacrifice, what one is willing to do for the other. Sexual relationships with their female lovers are conducted all natural, no condoms, no kinky sex. Most have fathered at least one child. Money earned by prostitution is seen as a means of bettering their lives and that of their families. In their own eyes, cacheros are worth more than homosexuals because they are real men, explained Shifter. They dominate the sexual scene. They are masculine sexual robots. They penetrate. They are not in the market for male lovers. Indeed, most admit they can't even conceive how two men can actually love one another. I don't know what they can share if they're the same. It's not logical. And one young man told his gay interviewer, no kissing, no hugging, romantic attachments are reserved for their women. Cacheros are emotionally detached from their customers. According to Shifter, they are not part of San Jose's gay community and avoid gay institutions like bars and baths. As I've already noted, all these behaviors and sentiments theoretically provide the framework for the ideal world of the cacherismo. Unfortunately, they do not necessarily pan out in the real world of male prostitution. The common spoilers are alcoholism, drugs, and the threat of HIV-AIDS. As Shifter discovered, addiction to cocaine and or crack was common among Cateros. For many, drugs absorbed much of the dirty money they earned and brought them into trouble with the law. Crack becomes your only god, said one young prostitute. Although all the Cacheros that were interviewed appeared to be knowledgeable about safer sex practices and used condoms for sodomy, but generally not for fellatio, 
the threat of contracting AIDS and passing it off or other venereal diseases to their female lovers or wives appeared to be a constant source of anxiety. Becoming habituated to homosex what becomes eminently clear from a reading of the Shifter study is that whatever the initial motivation or rationalization for becoming a Kachero, all suffered from the experience. All the young boys and men interviewed admitted that deep inside themselves they had changed for the worse, some in ways that they could not have imagined. Leading a dual life of a machismo male whore placed a constant strain on their psyche and emotions. Some young men said that their exposure to the violent and sadistic elements of homosexual domination and the constant use of pornography used for sexual arousal had made them more cruel and aggressive in their sexual relations with women, including their wives and girlfriends. But by far the greatest threat to their sense of identity and self-worth came from the gradual realization that they were becoming, like the customers they despised, habituated to homosexual practices. Initially, virtually all the all of the young prostitutes said they fantasized that their customers were women. For this, but this changed over time as the reality of homosexuals settled in and denial became more difficult. Second, they found it harder to, not to feel something for the poor souls. They were buggering, especially some of the older pagadors with whom they had developed a special relationship. Third, with the threat of AIDS, some of their customers insisted on playing the active role in sodomy, thus forcing the cachero to play the part of a woman, a violation of the cardinal rule of cacherismo. The longer they prostituted themselves, the harder it became to maintain a clear dichotomy between heterosexual and homosexual behavior. Some young men admitted to Shifter that they began to use their women as men. Somewhat belatedly, many of the interviewees realized that vice is, a, is communicable and perversion can become an acquired taste. Some reported that they had become habituated to being filleted by their customers. Others said that they had to come to prefer the intense orgasm of active sodomy to natural heterosexual intercourse. Since Costa Rican women are unwilling to perform fellatio or be anally penetrated by their boyfriends and, or husbands, the young men said they had to depend on their clients or each other to provide for their newly acquired sexual taste. In a few cases, some young men stopped having sex with women and began to attend homosexual orgies, or they hooked up with older homosexuals and became their paramours. It appeared, however, that... The majority of young prostitutes who had become addicted to homosex stopped short of actually identifying themselves as homosexual or gay. There is at least one valuable lesson to be learned from the shifter study. It is that young men with normal heterosexual drives can in fact become habituated to homosexual practices and in some cases become homosexual, that is, develop a primary sexual desire directed at the same sex or even become gay, that is, can, they can become part of the homosexual collective. This phenomenon has been recognized by researchers like John Gagnon and William Simon, who claimed that when new faces and new bodies came on the scene and older boys retired, some originally heterosexual male prostitutes will drift into a homosexual self-image and fall into conventional roles in the homosexual world thereby verifying the homosexual folklore that this year's trade 
is next year's competition. Homosexuality, like any vice, can be learned and can spread. And as we shall see, it can do so as quickly in a seminary or house of religious as in a rundown brothel in Costa Rica. Shifter attacks Catholicism. Although the Shifter project was undertaken to learn more about the phenomena of catechismo in Latin America, it also inadvertently provided some valuable insights into the anti-Catholic biases, bias and prejudices of the ILPS staff who conducted the research. Almost all of the young prostitutes at Lila's brothel were either Roman Catholic or nominal Protestants. Some attended mass and went to confession. All shared the belief that prostitution was a sin, a sin serious enough to send them directly to hell, and that the money from prostitution was dirty. Clearly, whatever loss they had suffered, a sense of sin was not among them. Apparently, Shifter, a homosexual, and his two interviewers, also homosexuals, found this situation intolerable and set out to relieve the young men of their bad consciences. Shifter blamed the failure of the Cacheros to successfully integrate their sex work into their everyday lives and their dependency upon drugs on the church and priests and other religious people who were hostile towards homosexuality in general and homosexual prostitution, a double vice in particular. A psychodrama based on a new interpretation of scripture was devised by Shifter and the ILPS team to help free the Cacheros from their religious hang-ups and biblical fetters and enhance their self-esteem. Part of the young prostitute's pre-education consisted of a history lesson on the virtues of Greek pederasty and cult temple prostitution. They were told that Bible writers were ignorant of modern developments and the theories about homosexuality. The Cateros were then put through a visualization process using an allegory that substituted hairstyling for homosex. They were instructed to imagine that people no longer feel pleasure in their genitals, but in their hair. And the Bible and the God of the Old Testament Old and New Testament eventually forbade hairstyling and condemned hairstylists to hell. Our aim, said Shifter, was to show the prostitutes that their job might be seen like any other if it were not for the long history of religious condemnation and negative attitudes towards sexuality. The ILPS ILPS leader tried to convince the young men, that there was no moral difference between a hairdresser who massages a scalp and a prostitute who massages another man's genitals. Why was it immoral to give someone an orgasm while going to war, killing, and plundering are not condemned by religion, they asked. I suspect that Shifter and company were quite astonished when the young men reacted very strongly against the exercise, calling it blasphemous, irreverent, atheistic, and disrespectful. They said that they believed God would forgive them when they left prostitution and that they felt bad enough about the prostitution without adding blasphemy to their troubles. Lila tried to calm the situation by condemning corruption in the church and criticized the church for not selling all it possessed for the sake of the poor. But I suspect the highlight of Dr. Schiller's Shifter's Day was when one prostitute who had apparently missed the entire point of the hairdressing homosexual allegory exercise told the interviewers that he always knew God condemned hairstylists because they were all queens. 
and they were going to hell, and that's why he went to a barber instead. Bringing a new anti-culture to Costa Rica. Cacheros, as I have already noted, have little contact with the Costa Rica, Costa Rican urban gay community. It uh, consists largely of foreign sex tourists from the United States and Canada, and so-called sexpats, expatriates who have turned retired to Costa Rica, the Switzerland of Central America, to take advantage of the nation's supply of HIV, AIDS, free young boys, and men. Some appear willing to risk imprisonment from three to ten years for paying a minor age 15 or under for sexual services. Although adult prostitution is legal in Costa Rica and homosexuality between consenting adults was decriminalized in the 1970s, homosexuality is still not socially acceptable and the police are known to continue to harass homosexuals and transvestites in bars and public places where they are known to congregate. However, sexual tourism dollars has been instrumental in moving politicians and jurists to approve pro-homosexual legislation and promote social tolerance toward homosexuals. And local residents are loath to refuse to dismiss the large portion of tourist revenue that comes from foreign gays and lesbians. In recent years, Costa Rica has become a prime travel location for homosexual pederasts and is featured on a number of websites promoting pederastic sex tourism. According to Richard Stern, a former psychologist and chronicler of gay life in Costa Rica, the gay scene in Costa Rica is beginning to blossom. He cited the establishment of a number of gay bars, gay saunas, baths, gay and gay-friendly businesses, and gay solicitation street and park areas as evidence of the homosexual community's positive contribution to life in Costa Rica. For example, Stern noted that the newest bathhouse in downtown San Jose, the Sauna Paris, based on a chic U.S. model, promotes promiscuous but safer sex. When municipal officials tried to shut the bathhouse down as a hazard to public morality and health, the courts ruled in favor of the sauna owner. In 2001, public health officials acknowledged that the large percentage of HIV-AIDS cases in Costa Rica, some 60.5%, have been traced to man-to-man homosexual sexual contact. Such as the gay community's anti-cultural contribution to the nation of Costa Rica. Let us return to the American scene. In-house murder and homicide. Although, as we have seen, homosexual prostitution is tied to a multitude of other criminal activities, the majority of murders, homicides, and suicides associated with urban homosexual living at all socioeconomic levels occurs within partnered relationships and among friends and acquaintances. Both Jack Fritcher, biographer of Robert Maplethorpe, and Victor Bacchus, who chronicled the life of Andy Warhol and the Warhol factory, have reported on the inordinate and frightening numbers of killings and self-inflicted deaths within both the Maplethorpe and Warhol orbits. Bacchus wrote that Andy's friend, Freddie Herco from the factory jumped naked out of a fifth-story window to his death under the influence of LSD, to which Warhol was alleged to have responded that it was too bad that he did not get that on film. 
Perko's death was one of a number of sensational deaths associated with Warhol, said Bacchus. Andy released the evil or dark side. He gave permission for violence, he noted. He loved to see other people dying. Andy was the angel of death, taking young people through their shabby lives with drugs and weird sex. Andy just looked, Bacchus said. Brennan J. Gebirth, a former lieutenant commander and vice and forensic specialist with the New York City Police Department in practical homicide investigation tactics, procedures, and forensic techniques, has documented the degree of violence, perversity, and overkill that accompanies homosexual homicides. These murders, he said, reflect the fact that both parties involved in the emotional conflict are biologically engineered sexual aggressors. The bodies of victims of homosexual lovers' quarrels frequently bear the marks of slashing and cuttings to the throat. Tests and generals that characterize the hair-trigger elements of rage, anger, and resentment that accompany such relationships, Gibberth said. He recalled one particular case of sexual mutilation in which one homosexual lover castrated his partner who had breast implants for fooling around with another male. Homicides involving forced anal rape, like heterosexual sex crimes, can be extremely brutal where death occurs from the amount of force used to overcome the victim's resistance or the victim is killed to prevent identification, stated Gibberth. Many times when you observe a belt, strap, or ligature around the neck of a male victim, there has been forced anal sodomy, Gibber said. Because of their habits and haunts, Gibber said, homosexuals represent a highly visible target population, especially for homosexual serial killers. These crimes can, that can involve sadomasochistic torture, lust murders, he reported, may be carried out by a homosexual serial killer or killers who exclusively target, targets their male homose- other male homosexual victims and who attacks both heterosexual and homosexual victims or by a male pederast who attacks young males and boys. In addition to the, to the well-publicized cases of John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer, the former NYPD officer cited the case of homosexual Robert Berdella, who was interested in creating sex slaves and photographed both consensual and forced sex acts with young boys and men, six of whom he murdered. Berdella kept a detailed diary of all his victims, Gebreth said. He also recalled the case of Larry Eiler, who sadistically murdered 23 young men, prostitutes, who he had picked up while cruising gay urban areas of Illinois and Indiana between 1982 to 1984. Like Bardella, he photographed his victims in the commission of various SMM, BND acts before killing them. Gebirth noted that Adler was caught with a, when a fellow homosexual whose male lover had been stolen by Larry notified authorities that Adler might be the murderer they were looking for in connection with the killing of a 15-year-old hustler in Chicago. Eiler was convicted and sentenced to death, but he died of AIDS while in prison in March 1994. Gebirth also mentioned the case of Walter Kelbach and Myron Lance, two aggressive homosexual thrill killers 
who selected only straight young men as victims and anally raped and sadistically tortured their victims before killing them. According to Gebhardt, in the United States, the 37 known and documented cases of serial killers who were active homosexuals took the lives of 280 male victims and were suspected of 755 murders. Table 2 in his criminal textbook indicated that of the 20, 37 tried and convicted homosexual killers of the 20th century, 12, that is over 30%, were homosexual pedophiles. Homicides involving interpersonal violence, killings that involve force and anal and or oral sodomy, lust murders, and other acts of sexual perversion and robbery homicide, as well as the prolific killings of victims by homosexual serial murders, is cause for concern by everyone in society, Gibbers concluded. Suicide and self-inflicted violence, as Angel so per, has so perceptibly noted, when life-sustaining sexual instincts are perverted, the death instincts take over. Government and other official records on attempted and completed suicides, including coroner's reports and death certificates, do not include separate statistics based on sexual orientation. Therefore, we do not have any nationwide information on homosexual suicide rates, or direct linkage between homosexuality and suicidality, although the research has been studied at length by a number of individual researchers with highly divergent conclusions. We do know that men, primarily white males, are four more, are four more times likely to commit suicide than women, although women are three more times likely to attempt suicide. We also know that suicide is directly related to two specific factors, high risk and delinquent behaviors, including substance abuse and mental, physical, and emotional illnesses, especially clinical depression. Therefore, while sexual orientation per se has not been proven to be a causal factor in suicide by self-identified homosexuals, high-risk and criminally attendant homosexual behaviors and poor mental, physical, and emotional health and hygiene can be linked to attempted and completed suicide, including suicide pacts by homosexuals, a rate of 12%, three times higher than the general male population has been given for homosexual and bisexual men who have attempted suicide. Interestingly, the reasons given most often by homosexuals themselves for attempting suicide are a love affair gone sour, conflict over sexual identity, loneliness and familial alienation, the contraction of AIDS, or the loss of a partner due to AIDS. Conspicuously absent is homophobia as a reason for attempting suicide. According to Van den Aardwijk, some homosexual desires, some homosexuals desire to act out the part of a tragic hero. Their suicidal fantasies sometimes take the form of dramatic protests against others, the world, to show how they are mistreated, misunderstood. Unconsciously, they want to wallow in self-pity, he said. Some cases of self-inflicted violence and death have been linked to the dangerous S&M practice of autoerotic asphyxial 
philia or hypoxophilia in which the homosexual deprives himself of oxygen while masturbating or engaging in sex. A noose or plastic bag is used to temporarily decrease the amount of oxygenated blood flowing to the brain. Summary on homosexual behaviors. There are some important observations that I believe should accompany the above examination and discussion of homosexual behaviors before exploring the specific form of the homosexual pederast. First, while acknowledging that a person is more than his sexuality and and has primacy over his sexuality and the form of expression that it takes, nevertheless, we cannot underestimate the degree to which homosexuality, like all true perversions, involves the whole of the personality. The problem with homosexuality is not just a wrong choice or love object, love object, but a problem of an arrested personality. Thus, a person is always more than his perversion, but never less. Second, as Negro has stated and restated, there are well-documented cognitive differences between sexually normal men and women and homosexuals outside the common behavioral manifestations of homosexuality. The major criteria of cognitive defect is found in the occurrences of ipsodixitism, i.e. impotent and compartmentalized thinking that such truth and reality are excluded. I say it, therefore it is so, stated Negro. The gay man lives in a fantasy land. He can begin to come to understand and conquer his perversion when he comes to grip, grips with reality, Negro concluded. Third, as Rosen has stated, perversions, including homosexuality, relate to complex defense systems dealing with the unconscious complex of infantile sexuality, gender identity, and object relationships, especially the separation, individuation experiences, and transitional object fixation. The two key words are unconscious and conflict, meaning that much of a homosexual's behavior is unconsciously motivated and compulsive in nature. But at the same time, the homosexual feels a degree of conflict regarding degree of conflict indicating that he still recognizes that he has choices, however however difficult, with regard to his behavior. Dr. Adam Lemontane of London's Portman Clinic has reported in his study of different types of homosexualities that homosexuality can be repressed, sublimated, fantasized, or made manifest, at which point all defensive barriers against acting out of deviant impulses have broken down. The good news is that not all men with homosexual feelings and desires act upon them, and not all men with homosexual feelings and desires become part of the homosexual collective. Some seek out spiritual and psychiatric and medical help and are loved to wellness. They may go on to marry and raise a family. They may choose to live a celibate life in the single state. And if they are lucky, somewhere along the road of life, these men discover one of the ageless truths of Christianity as bespoken by St. Augustine, that to serve God is perfect freedom. And this concludes this podcast now, and so I'll end it here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.